0: To all of you, hope you're uh, you're doing well this morning. Happy Mother's Day. My name is uh, Robert. I'm one of the, the pastors here at, at Christ Fellowship Northwest. And let me let me extend to uh, to all of you my, my welcome, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. Uh, it's really good to, to see you. We're really glad that you're here. Hope that you had a chance to meet some of our guest services volunteers in the back. If you haven't, please please stop by the tent on the way um, out of the services this morning. And, uh, and do that. They have some great information that they would like to give you. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 27, Psalm 27 this morning. Uh, let, me, let me say again, happy, happy Mother's Day, and we um, have had a, a really good uh, weekend in my house celebrating um, the, the various uh, moms and, and ladies that, that are connected to our family. And so I, I hope that, that you have as well. This, this morning, I, uh, we're kind of in the middle between sermon series here at Christ Fellowship Northwest. We've just finished up part one of the book of Numbers. We'll be jumping back in there this fall. Um, we're we're going to jump in this summer to the book of Ecclesiastes and take more of a topical approach. Um, with this uh, sermon series that we're calling simple pleasures, and and look at how kind of the the futility of living in a sinful world often robs us. Of the simple pleasures that God has has given us in the gospel and in His Word, but uh, for this morning we're gonna we're gonna take a break and kind of do a a standalone, if you will, uh, sermon. If if you've been with us uh, for for any length of time, you know that we've we've kind of had this ongoing sermon series here at Christ Fellowship Northwest that we kind of pick up and put down at various times throughout the year called uh, genealogy. We call it genealogy because in it we we take a a passage of Scripture from the Bible. Uh, we, we preach uh, exposition. Here, so uh, Daniel and I, people that stand on this stage, we don't we don't believe that we have anything in and of ourselves to offer you of any value. We want to preach to you what what God's word says. So we'll we'll take a passage of scripture, we'll exposit it, and then we'll use a person from church history, uh, perhaps a missionary or um, maybe one of the uh, the apostles even, someone like that to to kind of illustrate what the passage is is teaching. And you know what? I just forgot. Um, four and five-year-olds, if you're four and five years old and you're in here this morning, I want to go ahead and dismiss you to the back of the room. I don't want to, I'm getting some looks this morning from four and five-year-olds like, hey man, where? Uh, why aren't you calling my name out? So if you're four and five years old and you're going to go to uh, uh, our four and 5 years old class, you are dismissed now. There'll be some uh, folks at the back of the room to pick you up. So uh, yeah, so a person in church history will use a passage of scripture to, uh, will exposit it and then use that person in church history to kind of Illustrate the truths that we see in Scripture. And so this morning, um, I want to introduce you to uh, who I believe is really a spiritual mother in the faith. Um, Her name is Darlene DiBler Rose, and I want to look at Psalm 27 because I think we can learn a lot from her and her experiences as a missionary in Southeast Asia. Um, based upon what the Lord has teaches us here in Psalm 27. So here's the deal about Psalm 27. I don't know if you've had a lot of experience reading the Psalms. The Psalms is one of the most popular kind of books in the Bible. But uh, there's, there's a couple of reasons why Psalm 27 is a little difficult to get our head around. The first one is that we, we cannot say for, for sure what the context is of Psalm 27, what inspired the writing of it. It's probably written by, by David. That's in the, the superscription in your Bible. You'll probably see next to Psalm 27 in your Bible, it'll say of David. That's called the superscription. Um, it's probably written by him, but, but we don't know why or when he wrote it. It's it's possible that David was inspired to write this psalm um, when he was fleeing from King Saul, when King Saul was trying uh, to kill him. You can read about that in the book of 1 Samuel. All we can say for sure about Psalm 27 is that David is writing from from an experience of a time of struggle and trial in his service to the Lord. That's that's essentially the, the general context of the psalm. Now, the second reason that, that Psalm 27, and really many of the psalms are kind of difficult to get our head around, is particularly in Psalm 27, David will express great confidence in God that we're going to see this morning, and God's unwillingness to abandon him um, and abandon those who will seek him. Yet, you get to the middle section of the psalm, and the entire middle section is a, is a prayer, a prayer of anxiety and doubt and concern. He's, David's afraid that, that God's abandoned him. He's been abandoned. And then strangely, Psalm 27 ends where it began with this uh, cry of confidence that David is willing to wait upon the Lord. And so you read it and you, you think to yourself, okay, David, w- which is it? Are you confident in the Lord or are you, are you afraid? Are you, do you have faith or are you doubting? You see, I think that this kind of uh, schizophrenia, if you will, of David is actually the key to understanding Psalm 27. You see, while our heads might struggle to kind of get our minds around, okay, what is this back and forth? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, our hearts know this back and forth of Psalm 27 quite well. We know David's experience well. Like trees swaying in the wind. I mean, haven't we all wavered? between confidence in the Lord and doubt, between faith and fear? Don't we all have mood swings, maybe even daily? Daily, hourly, sometimes moment by moment. Haven't we all leaped out of the bed in the morning, ready to uh, storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun, only to be on the floor in a puddle of our tears by breakfast, anybody ever had that experience? That's me, that's like three days out of my week, right? With kids and all the stresses of life, right? Puddle of our tears before breakfast. Recently, I had this experience. I was uh, going with a group of our college students up to uh, Charlotte to share the gospel on UNC Chapel Hill. And you can ask my wife, I'm all gung ho about sharing the gospel with people on, on the college campus. And man, we get there and it's time to go, and I'm, I'm scared to death. Like, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm anxious. I was wavering between faith and doubt. You see, we often think that confidence in the Lord, as we're going to see in Psalm 27, that it's sort of like a light switch. We flip it on, we flip it off. You either have it or you don't. What I want to argue to you this morning is that confidence in the Lord is more like a dimmer. It's more like a dimmer switch, that we actually actually gravitate often back and forth between this mix of bright trust and dimmed doubt. Because you see, I think Psalm 27 teaches us That in the face of struggle, this is kind of the the main idea that we're going to run after this morning, in the face of struggle and hardship as we serve the Lord, there are four things that we can be confident in. We can be confident in the Lord's salvation. We can be confident in His protection and promise of victory. We can confidently take our fears to Him in prayer. And then fourth, we can confidently wait for Him to answer. And confidently wait for him to answer. That's the, the four things that I want to show you this morning, and hopefully show you from the life of uh, this incredible woman, Darlene Daibler Rose. Let's read together Psalm 27 verses 1 through3: "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. You hear David's confidence in the Lord there? In verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 27, the psalmist there, David, is expressing confidence in Yahweh, confidence in the Lord, as his light and his salvation. Now, light is used in the Old Testament over and over again as a metaphor of God's blessing and favor. When God shines his light on his people, he is blessing them, he is showing favor to them. You may be familiar with this. In Psalm 23, it's God's light that invades the darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. We all know that psalm, right? And it's the light of God's word in Psalm 119 that actually guides our steps. It guides our steps by illuminating the path of righteousness as we follow him. See that in Psalm 119. But, but notice what else David says there in Psalm 27. It's also the Lord, according to David, who is the salvation of his people. It's interesting to me that, that David doesn't just say that God saves his people. David says that, that God is their salvation. Right? Yahweh is the one who rescues his people from their enemies. Like a, like a mighty fortress no pow- that no power of evil can breach, the Lord, David says, is his stronghold. It's his stronghold. With the Lord, David claims, There is nothing to fear. There is nothing to be afraid of. The the enemies of God's people, our fears, our doubts, our struggles, our pains, they may growl and lick their chops like hungry beasts ready to feast on their flesh, on our flesh. They may loom large on the horizon, David says, like a mighty army declaring war on us. Anyone ever felt like just the world had declared war on you? But David is confident that it's God's enemies who will stumble and ultimately fall. They will fall. David's confidence, or we might say his faith, it's actually, uh, you could translate that word confidence, trust. David's faith, as we're going to see, is in the Lord. Christ's fellowship, no matter what we face, no matter what we face today as God's people, as we seek to serve Him, in raising our children, moms and dads, in sharing the gospel with our friends and our neighbors, in uh, building our lives, going to work day in and day out, we have nothing to fear, David says, if our confidence is in the Lord. Now, this morning, if you've, uh, if you've kind of grown up in the church or you know anything about kind of the church and um, its endeavors to send missionaries across the world, you may have heard of men like William Carey, who is uh, believed by most to be kind of the father of modern missions. You may have heard of women like Annie Armstrong, right? These these men and women, they get all of the press in the church, so to speak, for their missionary endeavors, and rightfully so. Uh, God used William Carey and Annie Armstrong to do some incredible things for the kingdom, But this morning, I want to introduce to you a woman that you've probably never heard of. I've already told you her name. Her name is Darlene Dibler-Rose. You're going to see a picture of her up on the screen. Um, And I'll just go ahead and commend to you a book this morning if you like to read Christian biography. There's a book called Evidence Unseen that tells the story of her life. I would highly recommend it to you. Um, Her name is Darlene Dibler-Rose. She and her husband, Russell Dibler, were missionaries in Southeast Asia. And it was without a doubt, if you, if you follow the story of their lives, of her life, it was their trust in the Lord's salvation, their confidence that Christ had saved them and freed them from the enemies of sin and death that led them both to one of the most remote corners of the world in Southeast Asia, a little, to an island called New Guinea. New Guinea. To a people who had never heard the gospel before, a people who... Um, until they meet Darlene, had never seen a white woman before. Right? Darlene's confidence in the Lord's salvation would sustain her through both a spiritual war, as her and Russell were uh, doing work there on the island, and a physical war, a physical war. Now she was born Darlene May McIntosh on May 7, 17, 1917. She grew up in, in Boone, Iowa. She's a good old American girl, right? When she was just nine years old, she placed her trust in Jesus as her Lord and Savior and soon sensed the call to serve the Lord on the mission field. And she had no idea at nine, as none of us do, right? She had no idea at nine where the Lord would take her, what experiences the Lord would give her, and what it would cost her to follow him. What it would cost her to follow him. Yet at age nine, she made this promise. I'm going to quote from her biography. Lord, I will go anywhere with you no matter what it costs. What a prayer for our children, moms, that our children would have such a faith in the Lord that they could say to King Jesus, Lord, I'll go anywhere with you no matter the cost. She would never falter from that commitment to follow Jesus anywhere, and in 1936, while she was in Bible college, preparing to enter the mission field to answer that call to take the gospel to the nations, Darlene met a missionary at home on furlough named Russell Dibler. He was a a pioneer missionary. So what that means is uh, Russell was always going to places where the gospel had never been preached before. And so one year after they met, they got married. She was 19, he was 31, and they were eager to get to work. They were eager to get to the mission field. So for a honeymoon, they picked Holland. They picked Holland where they spent six months in language training before eventually hopping on another boat and returning Um, to Southeast Asia to work with an unreached people group on the island of New Guinea. What a honeymoon, right? Like, what a whirlwind of a marriage. Friends, I wonder this morning, do you share that same confidence in the Lord in His salvation? First and foremost, if you're here this morning, have you sought refuge in the stronghold that is His salvation? You see, The great enemy of God's people, David is confronted by many enemies here in Psalm 27, but the great enemy of God's people is our sin. It puts us at odds with God. It puts us under His wrath. And sin is a formidable enemy, an enemy that will ultimately lead to your destruction. If you never put your faith in Christ this morning, you can. You can have the same confidence that we see expressed here by David in verses 1 through 3, the same confidence that would send Darlene and her husband Russell to the farthest corners of the earth with the gospel. All you need to do is repent of your sins and believe the gospel this morning. You can have that same confidence. Christ Fellowship, for those of us that are in Christ, Are we so confident? Could we say in our hearts that we are so confident in what God has done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we would be willing to say with nine-year-old Darlene, Jesus, I'll go anywhere with you, no matter the cost. Ladies, i got to be honest with you this morning. To our shame as men, um, as a whole within the church, to our shame as men, We have not led in regards to the kind of confidence that David uh, teaches us about here in Psalm 27. This is one of the reasons why women make up somewhere somewhere around 80% of all single people on the mission field to date. 80%. It's not good, guys. It's not good. Ladies, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you as we celebrate mothers today that you have a very important role in our church. We we need you. Us men, we, we need you to encourage us, your weaker brothers who are often afraid, who often don't share this confidence. We need you to encourage us, to hold us accountable, and to call us to faith and confidence in the Lord's salvation, to serve Him in whatever way He calls us, wherever He takes us. This Mother's Day, we can look at Darlene as a spiritual mother in the faith. A spiritual mother in the faith who teaches us that we can be confident in the salvation that we have in Christ. And we can go anywhere and do anything He asks of us. We can go and serve Jesus anywhere and do anything He asks of us because of the rock-solid confidence that we have in His redemption. The second thing that I want to show you this morning from Psalm 27 is that we can be confident in the Lord's protection. We can be confident in the Lord's protection. Read along with me verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple, For he will hide me in his shelter, excuse me, in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. In verses 1 through 9 of Psalm 27, one thing matters most to David. One thing matters most to David. He desires nothing more than to dwell in God's presence. That's what all his talk there about um, going to the temple of God is about. He wants to be in the presence of God. For David, being in the temple of God is the place where, where God dwelled. It's the place where God's beauty was. It's the place where God could protect him, would protect him from his enemies. I mean, look at verse 5. Isn't that all we want? Isn't that what we all want in the day of trouble? Right? Isn't what we want is God's protection and the the peace and the wonder of his beauty on the day when all of our enemies are surrounding us? Verse 6. David wants to be near God because he knows there's beauty and there's protection there. To spend all of his days, all of his days in fellowship with and worship of Yahweh, of the Lord. You see, it's in times of trouble. It's in times of hardship and difficulty and pain. Right? It's in those times that we find beauty and protection in the Lord's presence. The the prophet Isaiah, he describes it this way in Isaiah 25, 4, writing of, of Yahweh. He says, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat shade from the heat. This kind of protection and shelter is what drives David to worship. It's what drives him to worship the Lord. David can sing praises, we see in these verses. David can sing praises to God when the world is unraveling, when his enemies have surrounded him on all sides, because he's confident that in the presence of the Lord, Yahweh will protect him. God will protect him. God will be his stronghold. He can worship in confidence that our God will protect. He will not let him be overcome by his enemies. His enemies will ultimately stumble, and he will see victory. I told you Darlene had no idea what the Lord would take her, the experiences he would give her. She also had no idea how precious of a refuge God's presence would become to her. Her and, uh, her and Russell, they they traveled to New Guinea. They established an outpost in the uh, kind of one of the most remo- they're in the, they're in one of the most remote parts of the world on one of the most remote parts on this island of New Guinea, and they established an outpost to, to do their, uh, their their ministry with this unreached people group on the island of New Guinea. When, when Darlene met this, uh, this, this tribe of people for the first time, everyone came running out of these mud huts, screaming and yelling, excited to meet her. Russell had been there before her. They're excited to meet her, and everyone is bringing her gifts, roasted sweet potatoes, and they, they drop these piles of roasted sweet potatoes at her feet. And she says in her biography that she knew immediately that this was her family, this was home. But this joy would soon give way to fear and sorrow because World War II broke out across the Pacific while Russell and Darlene were on the island of New Guinea serving the Lord. Now, they were isolated, right? They're in one of the most remote, remote corners of the world. They, they don't fully grasp the extent of the war, that this is actually a world war, right? And so they decide, the divers decide to stay and continue their work on the island of New Guinea, And to the shock of the world, the Japanese Imperial Army, they literally march and sail across the Pacific, countries falling left and right, all the way to the island of New Guinea with ease. Nothing stops them. Russell, Darlene, and the other missionaries that they were working with were captured, and they became prisoners of war. And as if life couldn't get any worse, I'm serving the Lord in one of the most remote places on the planet. I'm now a prisoner of war in World War II. Russell, along with the other men and kind of their, their group of workers and missionaries, were all loaded up into a truck and separated from the women to a different POW camp. Russell whispered to Darlene as the truck is being driven away. She barely had time to grab extra clothes for him, to give to him. He whispered these words to her, uh, essentially paraphrasing Hebrews chapter 12. Remember one thing, my dear. God said he will never leave us or forsake us. Throughout, throughout his imprisonment, her imprisonment, Darlene would find protection in the presence of the Lord. When the enemies of physical pain and despair would come for her, she would retreat into the safety of Scripture, of prayer, and even singing hymns. Singing hymns. For for much of her imprisonment, she was a, she was actually able to keep a copy of a Bible that a Chinese woman gave her. Right. But, but much, of her, much of the scriptures that, that she would reflect on, they were ultimately memorized by her when she was a child in vacation Bible school. Right. She would reflect on these passages. She would spend times of, in time, uh, times of prayer with the Lord and sing these hymns, and they would all usher her into the safety of the Lord's presence. No matter how crazy the madness was swirling around her, there was safety, there was protection in the presence of the Lord. My friends, as we seek to serve the Lord here in Greenville, here to the ends of the earth, wherever God sends us, right, we can look to these same gifts. The, the scriptures that we actually have, that we actually carry around us, that we carry on our devices, songs that we sing, hymns that we sing here on Sunday morning, worship songs that we sing here on Sunday morning. Simple times of prayer where it's just you speaking one-on-one with the Lord. We can use all of these things. These are all gifts and means given to us by our Lord to usher us into his presence. So that we can experience that same confidence. That when our service to him becomes difficult, when it becomes hard, even costly, that we will find protection and refuge in him. Third, this morning, I want us to see that we can be confident in our prayers to the Lord. I told you that uh, Psalm 27, there's this kind of wavering back and forth between confidence and doubt. Here we're going to see David take these doubts to the Lord in confidence. Beginning with verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. As I told you, verse 7 represents an important shift in Psalm 27. The text shifts from declarations in God's confidence to a prayer, a prayer filled with anxiety and doubt, a prayer to God. Verse seven, uh, I think, gives us a glimpse into one of the features of the Psalms that make them so powerful. The thing about the Psalms is they're not pie in the sky, right? They're not always pie in the sky that everything's going to be okay in the end, right? They're not pie in the sky that confidence and faith all the time. No, the Psalms are—they're real to life. They're—they're they're earthy. I mean, isn't it just like us? To be high and confident in God one moment and then reeling in doubt the next. Verses 7 to 12 teach us that that's okay. That that's part of walking with the Lord. That God is gracious and merciful. And that we can and should confidently take those doubts to Him in prayer. In verse 7, the psalmist cries out for God to hear Him. God, be gracious to me. Answer me. Have you ever cried out to God and begged Him to listen before? Have you ever been afraid that God wasn't listening? That he had, in fact, turned his face away? David was. David was afraid. David says in verse 8 that he has kept the Lord's command to seek his face. He has come to the Lord in worship. Right? Moses, he helps us understand what this idea of seeking the Lord's face means in Deuteronomy 4.29. There, God is instructing his people what they are always to do. Even if because of their sin, they're cast out of the land that he's promised to give them. This is the thing that they are always supposed to do. Moses writes in verse 29, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, David cries, just as Moses told us, I've done it, God. I've sought your face. I've come to you with, a, with an open heart, with, an, with open hands and complete devotion and worship. I need your help. David says, I've, I've sought you, Lord, with my whole heart and soul. He begs God in verse 9, don't hide your face from me, Lord. Not now. Don't hide your face from me. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 57, 17 helps us understand what this means, for God to turn His face away from His people. Because of the iniquity of His unjust gain, I was angry. I struck Him. I hid my face and was angry. But when He went on backsliding in the way of His own heart, God hiding His face is a metaphor for, his, for judgment. For judgment and, and His anger, His righteous anger for sin. Perhaps David is here, we can't say for sure. Perhaps he's fearing some unknown sin that he, that he hasn't confessed to the Lord. But David is afraid in one of his darkest moments that God has turned his face away. Cast me not off, David cries. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David's at a low point. He is at a low point in his life when he writes Psalm 27. And then again, we get that little glimmer of confidence at the end in verse 10. He claims that even though people closest to him, his mother and father have abandoned him, he's still confident. He's got a, a shred of confidence left in him that the Lord will take him in. This, uh, this separation that Darlene experienced from Russell was also a low point for her and her experience as a missionary. But it was just the beginning of low points, of the hardship that she would face as a POW. She and the other women... Um, who were prisoners of war, were were ultimately taken to a work camp in a place called Campile, New Guinea. They could keep few belongings, maybe a couple of dresses and a few other items. And they built roads, they sewed soldiers' uniforms, and they raised livestock all in the service of the Japanese Imperial Army, all to support their war effort. And they did all of this, all of these ladies in this, you know, just ladies in this POW camp. They did all of it in the middle of a sweltering jungle with no shoes while fending off an army of flies, mosquitoes, and rats. Right? Malaria and dysentery were just a few of the diseases they constantly suffered from. At, at one of, uh, of Darling's lowest points came one November when news finally reached her that Russell had died in one of the men's camps. It had taken three months for news of her husband's death to reach her in the middle of the jungle. Her world was shattered. Here she is on the other side of the world, giving everything she has in the service of King Jesus, and now God's going to take Russell? Was God listening now? Had he turned his face away? But but over and over again, she recounts in her biography how the Lord would bring back to her mind those words that Russell whispered to her as the truck was driving away. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So in confidence, in that moment of doubt, in that moment of despair, in confidence, she would take her fears to the Lord. She would take her fears to the Lord in prayer. To endure this kind of hardship... Darling would need the very thing that David requests down in verse 11 of Psalm 27. Look at what David requests in verse 11. David needs divine instruction in the face of the enemy's attacks. He needs the Lord to lead him through the despair, through the hardship, through the struggle, through the fear. This, this, uh, This phrase here, level path, it's an image, it's a metaphor of God's righteousness, His righteous way. Have you ever been so afraid, so overcome with fear, with pain, maybe grief, that you didn't know what to do, you didn't know where to turn? David prays in that exact moment that the Lord would teach him, Lord, teach me what to do. Tell me what to do. David prays that the Lord would teach him. He would instruct him in the way that he should even respond to these enemies who are bearing false witness against him the way that he should respond to all of his struggle, all of his pain, the way that he should respond to the false testimony that was being raised against him. And we see in the life of Darlene that as she experienced this same kind of hardship and struggle and fear, that as she confidently took her doubts in prayer to the Lord, that the Lord taught her. He instructed her in the paths of righteousness, in the ways of Him. As she suffered the unimaginable grief, the unimaginable grief of being widowed in her 20s, and the physical and emotional pain of being a, a prisoner of war on the other side of the world, in the middle of a war. Right? God instructed her. He taught her. It's the, God instructing her in the middle of all of this is the only way to explain the way that she responded to the camp commander. His name was Mr. Yamaji. The way that she responded to him when, when he came and sought her out, when he learned that Russell had died. You see, it was, a, it was against the rules for anybody in the camp, any prisoner of war, to address a Japanese officer. You could, be, you could be beaten for that. But Darlene saw an opportunity. Through her grief, through her fear, through her struggle, she saw an opportunity. God showed it to her, we should say. Instead of being overcome with grief or anger, Darlene risked a beating. She risked her very life by addressing this Japanese officer, the commander of her entire camp, and she shared the gospel with him. She told him she didn't hate him. She wasn't mad at him because she didn't grieve as one who didn't have any hope. And Darlene kept praying. She kept praying. And later on, the Kempei Kempeitai, this is the, uh, the Japanese version of the secret police, They accused her of being an American spy. She'd never spied before, but they accused her of it. They took her from the work camp. They tortured her. They sent her to solitary confinement. When she got to her cell, she could read written on the door in Indonesian the phrase, Death Row. That's where she was. On death row to be executed for spying. Spying. She would be tortured over and over again, trying to get her to confess to spying for the Americans. And each time she would return to her cell, fall to the floor, and confidently she'd take all of her fears to the Lord. She would cry out to Him. She would cry out to Him. Christ Fellowship, as we we seek to serve God in the places that He's called us, as we seek to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches here in Greenville and around the world, prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our lifeline. It is our lifeline to the, to the Lord who wants to calm and reassure us in our fears. It's a, it can be a big and scary thing to think about planting a church somewhere. It can be a big and scary thing to think about picking up and moving your life from something that's, that's comfortable and known to go do something difficult and hard and different like going overseas to share the gospel with people who've never heard or moving up the street to start a new church. The Lord wants to calm and reassure us if we will confidently take our doubts to Him in prayer. We can go to Him in confidence, knowing that He will instruct us. He will teach us how to walk in His ways in the midst of pain, in the midst of fear, in the midst of grief. He will teach us how to live on the level path, on His path of righteousness. He will teach us how to carry the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, even when we think we cannot. He will never abandon us. He will never abandon us. The last truth that I want us to see from Psalm 27 this morning is that we can wait upon the Lord with confidence. We can wait upon the Lord with confidence. Let's read our last two verses together, verses 13 through 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Despite constant fear that God was no longer listening and that he had turned his face away, David's fear-filled prayer gives way to new confidence. To new confidence. In these last two verses, David is sure, it's, it's amazing to me, he's sure that he will look upon the goodness of the Lord. He's sure that even, even though the world is spiraling out of control around him, he is sure that he will experience God's favor and God's blessing. Not just, and not just in eternity. Right? This is not, this is, I don't think this is David saying, hey, I'm going to experience God's blessing and favor one day in the future. Right? The, the context here of, of Psalm 27 suggests that David, David is confident that he is going to experience God's blessing now in the land of the living, Psalm 27 says. This is not confidence in the afterlife, this is a certainty that even in the darkest moments Even in the most difficult circumstances serving the Lord, God can and he will bring blessing. He may not rescue us, he may not remove us from our hardship and our suffering, but he can and he will bring blessing. And David is resolved. He is resolved. He has set his mind and heart to wait on that blessing, to wait on that favor. When serving the Lord during trial and suffering, our hearts can take the same courage that David's heart takes in Psalm 27, and we can patiently wait upon the Lord, patiently wait upon the Lord for deliverance. No matter how dark the night, God can and he will bring light, even to the darkest of moments. For Darlene, waiting was really all she had, right? That's all she could do is she sat in this tiny ceramic tile floor, um, this cell with this uh, ceramic tile floor there in the uh, Thai office. She would simply just wait, wait for the guards to come to administer more torture or more interrogation. But, but one morning she was up early. Guards startled her. They, they opened the door. They ordered her to quickly get up. They rushed her out of the building, threw her into the back of a car and started driving. They were taking her to be executed. She she realizes where she's going when the car doesn't make the turn back towards the camp, the POW camp in Campili, where she came from. It makes a a different turn, and she realizes that this is the end. This This is it. When she arrived at the place of execution, the Japanese officers escorted her inside. They forced her to sign a false confession basically confessing to be an American spy, and they placed her in front of one of her interrogators to be executed. As the Japanese officer drew his sword to to behead her, a car pulled up out front, as she recounts in her biography, a car pulls up out front and screeched to a halt. The Japanese officer puts his sword back in its sheath and walks into an office... Darlene had been patiently waiting on the Lord's deliverance, and when that car pulled up, the Lord arrived with deliverance. For some reason, unbeknownst to her, her execution was stayed. She was quickly put back in the car, taken to her original POW camp, where the Allied forces would later liberate her and all the POWs. She was immediately freed, returned to all of her friends in her POW camp, and eventually was able to go home. She returned home to America, she remarried, and she even returned to the mission field of New Guinea where she served there and in places in Australia for the next 40 years of her life. Her patient waiting had borne fruit. God had been faithful. But, but her patient waiting would bear even more fruit. It would bear even more fruit than she could have even imagined. Years after the war was over, years after she had moved on with life, had continued serving, Darlene learned that her old camp commander, Mr. Yamaji, the one she had shared the gospel with after learning that, that Russell had died, That he had actually given his life to Christ. That he had been heard on Japanese radio, repenting of all the terrible things that that he had done in the war, and sharing the gospel. Darlene was looking upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God had brought blessing even in the darkest of nights. And friends, we can have that same confidence if you are in Christ Just as David in Psalm 27 and Darlene in this cell, we can wait in faith that our Lord will not fail us. He will not fail us. Just as she used to sing after being interrogated and and tortured, we can have confidence in Jesus. This is what she would sing. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance and our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, the Father's full giving is only just begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Christ Fellowship, this morning, we can have confidence that no matter what we face in our life, no matter what hard and difficult things the Lord calls us to do, the Lord calls us to walk through, that our God will never abandon us He will never turn His face away from us. He has turned His face away from His Son so that He would never have to look away from all of those who have placed their faith in Him. He will see us through any storm, through any tragedy, through any hardship. We can be confident in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Christ. Thank You that That indeed, you have turned your face away from him so that you can keep your eyes fixed on us. Thank you that all of the wrath for our sin has been poured out on him so that we get grace and mercy. So Father, we we come to you unashamedly asking for grace and mercy as we seek to serve you in the places where you've called us, as we seek to live our lives in such a way that bring honor to your name, would you help us when our enemies surround us? Would you help us when fear fills us with doubt? Would you, as as Daniel prayed earlier, would you be that friend Christ who sticks closer than a brother? Father, I pray that from this room that from this room there might be some, some person, some little boy some little girl, some old boy old girl that would hear this, this, of this confidence that you would use to take the gospel to the farthest reaches of the earth would you, would you honor our church by sending us by sending us to all the places here in Greenville and around the world where the gospel needs to be preached. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.